Section 14 of the Hohenzollerns in America by Stephen Leacock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Echoes of the War, 5. The War News as I Remember It. Everybody, I think, should make some little contribution towards keeping alive the memories of the Great War. In the larger and heroic sense, this is already being done. But some of the minor things are apt to be neglected. When the record of the war has been rewritten into real history, we shall be in danger of forgetting what war news was like, and the peculiar kind of thrill that accompanied its perusal. Hence, in order to preserve it for all time, I embalm some little samples of it, selected of course absolutely at random, as such things always are, in the pages of this book. Let me begin with 1. The Cable News from Russia this was the great breakfast-table feature for at least three years. Towards the end of the war some people began to complain of it. They said that they questioned whether it was accurate. Here, for example, is one fortnight of it. Petrograd, April 14. Word has reached here that the Germans have captured enormous quantities of grain on the Ukrainian border. April 15. The Germans have captured no grain on the Ukrainian border, the country is swept bare. April 16. Everybody in Petrograd is starving. April 17. There is no lack of food in Petrograd. April 18. The death of General Kornilov is credibly reported this morning. April 19. It is credibly reported this morning that General Kornilov is alive. April 20. It is credibly reported that General Kornilov is hovering between life and death. April 21. The Bolsheviki are overthrown. April 22. The Bolsheviki got up again. April 23. The Tsar died last night. April 24. The Tsar did not die last night. April 25. General Kaleidoscope and his Cossacks are moving north. April 26. General Kaleidoscope and his Cossacks are moving south. April 27. General Kaleidoscope and his Cossacks are moving east. April 28. General Kaleidoscope and his Cossacks are moving west. April 29. It is reported that the Cossacks under General Kaleidoscope have revolted. They demanded the maximum. General Kaleidoscope hasn't got it. April 30. The National Pan-Russian Constituent Universal Duma, which met this morning at 10.30, was dissolved at 25 minutes to 11. My own conclusion, reached with deep regret, is that the Russians are not yet fit for the blessings of the Magna Carta and the Oklahoma Constitution of 1907. They ought to remain for some years yet under the Interstate Commerce Commission. 2. Sample of Special Correspondence New York, through London, via Holland, and coming out at Madrid. Mr. O. Howe Lurid, our special correspondent, writing from Somewhere Near Somewhere, and describing the terrific operations of which he has just been an eyewitness, says... From the crest where I stood, the whole landscape about me was illuminated with a fierce glare of the bursting shells, while the ground on which I stood quivered with the thunderous detonation of the artillery. 
Nothing in the imagination of a Dante could have equaled the lurid and pyrogryphic grandeur of the scene. Streams of fire rose into the sky, falling in bifurcated crystallations in all directions. Disregarding all personal danger, I opened one eye and looked at it. I found myself now to be the very centre of the awful conflict. While not stating that the whole bombardment was directed at me personally, I am pretty sure that it was. I admit that there was a time, at the very beginning of the war, when I liked this kind of thing served up with my bacon and eggs every morning, in the days when a man could eat bacon and eggs without being labelled a pro-German. Later on I came to prefer the simple statements as to the same scene and event given out by Sir Douglas Haig and General Pershing, after this fashion. Last night at 10.30 p.m. our men noticed signs of a light bombardment apparently coming from the German lines. 3. The Technical War Dispatches The best of these, as I remember them, used to come from the Italian front, and were done after this fashion. Tintino, near Trombono, Friday, April 3. The Germans, as I foresaw last month they would, have crossed the Piave in considerable force. Their position, as I said it would be, is now very strong. The mountains bordering the valley run, just as I foresaw they would, from northwest to southeast. The country in front is, as I anticipated, flat. Venice is, as I assured my readers it would be, about thirty miles distant from the Piave, which falls, as I expected it would, into the Adriatic. 4. THE WAR PROPHECIES Startling prophecy in Paris. All Paris is wildly excited over the extraordinary prophecy of Madame Cleo de Clichy that the war will be over in four weeks. Madame Cleo, who is now as widely known as a disease, a lisius, a frisius, and a clairvoyant, leaped into sudden prominence last November by her startling announcement that the seven letters in the Kaiser's name, W-I-L-H-E-L-M, represented the seven great beasts of the apocalypse. In the next month she electrified all Paris by her disclosure that the four letters of the word Tsar, C-Z-A-R, by substituting the figure one for C, nine for Z, one for A, and seven for R, produced the date 1917, and indicated a revolution in Russia. The salon of Madame Cleo is besieged by eager crowds night and day. She may prophesy again at any minute. Startling forecast, a Russian peasant, living in Semipalatinsk, has foretold that the war will end in August. The wildest excitement prevails not only in Semipalatinsk, but in the whole of it. Extraordinary Prophecy, Rumbumbabad, India, April 1. The whole neighborhood has been thrown into a turmoil by the prophecy of Ram Slim, a yogi of this district, who has foretold that the war will be at an end in September. People are pouring into Rumbumbabad in ox-carts from all directions. Business in Rumbumbabad is at a standstill. Excitement in Midgeville, Ohio. William Bessemer Jones, a retired farmer of Cuyahoga, Ohio, has foretold that the war will end in October. People are flocking into Midgeville in lumber wagons from all parts of the country. Jones, who bases his prophecy on the Bible, 
had hitherto been thought to be half-witted. It is now recognized to have been a wrong estimate of his powers. Business in Midgeville is at a standstill. Dog's Foot, Wyoming, April 1. An Indian of the Cheyenne tribe has foretold that the war will end in December. Business among the Indians is at a standstill. 5. Diplomatic Revelations These were sent out in assortments and labeled Vienna, via London, through Stockholm. After reading them with feverish eagerness for nearly four years, I decided that they somehow lack definiteness. Here is the way they ran. Special Correspondence I learned from a very high authority, whose name I am not at liberty to mention, speaking to me at a place which I am not allowed to indicate, and in a language which I am forbidden to use, that Austria-Hungary is about to take a diplomatic step of the highest importance. What this step is, I am forbidden to say. But the consequences of it, which unfortunately I am pledged not to disclose, will be such as to effect results which I am not free to enumerate. 6. A New German Peace Formula Dr. Hertling, the Imperial Chancellor, speaking through his hat in the Reichstag, said that he wished to state in the clearest language of which he is capable that the German peace plan would not only provide the fullest self-determination of all ethnographic categories, but would predicate the political self-consciousness of each geographical and entomological unit, subject only to the necessary rectilinear guarantees for the seismographic action of the German Empire. The entire Reichstag, especially the professorial section of it, broke into unrestrained applause. It is felt that the new formula is the equivalent of a German Magna Carta, or as near to it as they can get. 7. The Financial News The war finance, as I remember it, always supplied items of the most absorbing interest. I do not mean to say that I was an authority on finance or held any official position in regard to it, but I watched it. I followed it in the newspapers. When the war began, I knew nothing about it but I picked up a little bit here and a little bit there, until presently I felt that I had a grasp on it not easily shaken off. It was a simple matter, anyway. Take the cause of the rouble. It rose and it fell. But the reason was always perfectly obvious. The Russian news ran, as I got it in my newspapers, like this. M. Tuchasov, the new financial secretary of the Soviet, has declared that Russia will repay her utmost liabilities. Rubles rose. M. Tuchasov, the late financial secretary of the Soviet, was thrown into the Neva last evening. Rubles fell. M. Gorky, speaking in London last night, said that Russia was a great country. Rubles rose. A Dutch correspondent, who has just beat his way out of Russia, reports that nothing will induce him to go back. Rubles fell. Mr. Arthur Balfour, speaking in the House of Commons last night, paid a glowing tribute to the memory of Peter the Great. Rubles rose. The local Bolsheviki of New York City, at the Pan-Russian Congress held in Murphy's Rooms, 4th Avenue, voted unanimously in favor of a free Russia. Rubles never budged. 
With these examples in view, anybody, I think, could grasp the central principles of Russian finance. All that one needed to know was what Mr. Tuchesoff and such people were going to say, and who would be thrown into the Neva, and the rise and fall of the ruble could be foreseen to a kopeck. In speculation by shrewd people with proper judgment as to when to buy and when to sell the ruble, large fortunes could be made, or even lost, in a day. But after all, the Russian finance was simple. That of our German enemies was much more complicated, and yet infinitely more successful. That at least I gathered from the little news items in regard to German finance that used to reach us in cables that were headed via Timbuktu, and ran thus. The fourth imperial war loan of four billion marks, to be known as the Kaiser's war loan, was oversubscribed today in five minutes. Investors thronged the banks, with tears in their eyes, bringing with them everything that they had. The bank managers, themselves stained with tears, took everything that was offered. Each investor received a button proudly displayed by the too happy for words out of the bank hustling recipient. End of section 14